Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Ian Cron. And I'm Suzanne Stabile. And we are glad that you're here. Reverend Dr. Mr. Wonderful down there. Well, hey. How are you doing? I'm well. Good. I'm doing great. I'm doing really good because um, I have a friend in the studio today. That's fine. Yeah. You want to introduce people to Chris? You do it. Me? Yeah. All right. So Chris Gonzalez is a marriage and family therapist, and I'm excited about having a therapist here. You're our first therapist on I'm the, the show. first. You are our first All right. psychologist on yeah. the show. It's just right. fantastic. I'm feeling a little intimidated with the two of you. <laughs> oh, well, he's um, uh, here at Lipscomb University here in Nashville, and um, where he is not just... The, you know, a member of the faculty. He is the uh, program director of the Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Program. So we're going to learn some stuff today. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Chris, welcome. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, man. So you're a psychologist. We are in the area of talking about personality, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty opaque world. I, I should say I'm, I'm a marriage and family therapist, so it's kind of uh, a little askew to psychology. Oh, that's true. It's a, it's that's a true. social science umbrella. Right. We'll get us there. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in that zone. Yeah. So people in the world of um, the helping professions, mm-hmm. lots of them, look at the Enneagram, you know, a little, a, a, you know, with a, with a little bit of leeriness, you know. It's right, this right. sort of like, gosh, this is not a scientifically validated psychometric, you know, and right, therefore right. it's not uh, to be trusted or they kind of sure. dismiss it. But you there's, had a different experience. No, uh, factor analysis that's uh, demonstrating nine independent factors. No, that's not. That hasn't happened. See, I knew we were going to go there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't you? I did. And you know, my answer to all of that is it may not be all of the stuff y'all are talking about, but it's true. Right. Well, it, uh, you know, we, uh, one of the things I love about Chris is he's not, he's really an academic in a wonderful way. He, he brings a lot of heart, but he also brings a lot of knowledge yeah. about um, the intersection between this oral tradition and this thing called the Enneagram yeah. and the world of, of psychotherapy. So when I think about the Enneagram and I, and I think about therapy, um, like here's where I make the distinction um, and it's, it's pragmatic. If, if I've got an individual or a couple or a family coming in and they, they're kind of preloaded with Enneagram language and, and I'm going to go with that because uh, my question is what assets and strengths are they bringing in to, to the conversation? I'm not going to introduce Enneagram therapy to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. Right. So um, – I'm really going to be a client-driven person and be very pragmatic. What's their language? If their language is Enneagram, wow, what a great – I mean, they've got a leg up, I think, because they have a working model of how life works. And so I'm going to go with that pragmatically and not really care about the factor. Now, like, I'm not going to critique it because this is how they work in the world. There's, there's theories – of how families function, and then there's um, how families function. 
And I think sometimes the theories are helpful and sometimes they're not. Hmm. So if they bring that in, it's an asset and a strength, and I'm going to honor that as much as I can. Wow, that's wonderful. I, I'm wondering, you know, you're, you're a recent student, relatively recent student of the Enneagram. How long ago mm. did you, were you introduced to it? Um, it was uh, it, it, last year, 2015, early 2015. Right. Uh, I went through a video series, Suzanne, right. Suzanne did, right. and went through with my family and tried to figure things out. Yeah. yeah so so l- let's, let's talk about family for a second, because yeah. we've never really gotten into talking about family uh, in a deep way, you know, dy- dynamically or family systems and things mm. like that. Tell me in your own personal experience. How the Enneagram has, you know, impacted your own family experience. Okay. Uh, well, I can, I'm like, I'll focus mostly on me in my interactions with, with other family members. I lean, you know, more toward a nine than any other. I couldn't figure out if I was a four or a nine for the longest I, I, I got to say one thing. Sure. In, in preparation, driving over here, because I was meeting with you, I listened to uh, to Evanescence and Radiohead just <laughs> just so I would be with you. I didn't prepare for you because I knew you were going to be ready for me. And, oh, that's yeah. good. I yeah. am ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I know you would come toward me and I would need to go toward you. <laughs> there you go. That's very interesting. So, um, yeah, so I got creep in my head right now. Oh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Not that you're a creepy, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I tell you, the the, the Radiohead thing goes around a lot for nines. You know, I mean for fours, and uh, mm-hmm. but we're not nearly as depressed as people think. You know? No, it's not. It's a it's a delicious melancholy that you want to stay delicious. in. Did you hear that? That's very it's good. I want you to stick with that, Suzanne, from now on. Yeah. I am a delicious <laughs> melancholy. Yeah, you know how you know how when things are a little too rich, we call it delicious for the first six bites. Oh. But then we can't <laughs> right. quite finish what's on our plate. You're the fudge of humanity. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm going with that. Okay. Right, let's get back to families. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um so uh i am i'm I'm a fairly gifted conflict avoider um, uh, and so I, I guess let me share how this has come out in marriage uh between between me and gail uh me and my wife uh we we would have conversations and she's she's probably more a sixth than any other thing and so um she she's wanting some certainty and some confidence. She wants some agreement, like we need to be on the same page on this. And so I would listen to her and we'd talk and I would I would listen and I would nod. I would say, mm-hmm, yeah, I understand. And I would understand her very well and completely disagree. Right. And she so I walked away from the conversations thinking I did a good job listening. Right. She walked away. I convinced him of this thing. And we have agreement. And so there's a sense of um, it was a peaceful departure. Yep. And uh, But then it comes back around oh, yeah. to when I got to produce the behavior that she was expecting that I in no way committed to in my mind 
fully committed to in hers, and that, and then that's where the conflict comes. And that one's a little harder to avoid. Mm. Uh, and so I think we both kind of come by that innocently. But what we've learned is um, w- what we've been able to do is she knows that if she feels good, that's not enough in this conversation. What she needs is for me to make a direct and clear statement, I am going to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, or um, I believe exactly as you do. Otherwise, th- we're left up to assumptions and neither of us knew it. Right. I, when I'm teaching about nines, I always say the fact that nines are silent doesn't mean they agree with you. Right. It just means yeah. they're silent. Mm-hmm. And and the the silence I think is part of the if if I say this, well now now there's tension right. And so I'm going to read. So what I um what, what we figured out our process was, which was not a healthy process. I would detect that we disagreed. She would not right because I was very affirming. Like I heard you. Yes, I believe you believe that. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. But what that did is the tension that should have been between us in trying to figure problem solve was just absorbed inside of me and I carried it. Okay. Um, And that works for the moment. Um, But two things happen. uh, Two things can happen in that. One thing that can happen is it comes back around, like I was saying before. The other thing that can happen is is if we get enough of that tension and I absorb it every single time, she feels great and I feel resentful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then the, um, the potentially catastrophic, I can't contain this anymore happens. And she's like, what's the matter with you? You're, you're not this way. And I'm like, I am this way. And I've been, you know, just the wheels come off and, um, you know, it's, that's not a fun, um, but I get that all out and then I feel better. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Ian and I are both married to nines. Mm. So we're both kind of mad at you right yeah. now, but it's okay. <laughs> and um, w- one of the things that I'm so aware of is that I, I try to find out if Joe is in agreement with me. Like I'll say, is this what we both think? Or like, are we really mm. in this together? Mm-hmm. And he has answers that are kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know why not, or for now, or, and it's, um, you're hard to read. Nines are hard to read Mm -hmm. because your face and your nodding does not match what you're thinking. Mm, Right. Well, it, 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 it doesn't match what you want me to be thinking. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I hate this moment. I'm never going to let Joe listen to this. No, no, Joe's not mm-hmm. going to hear this one. The, the, but the the behaviors are like I'm affirming you as a person. Like I'm affirming right. you know whoever. And um, but it's yeah, it's 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 tricky if every other human on the earth that means we agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think it's true that nines have less energy than other numbers? Because the way I teach that is that you're boundaried both internally mm. and externally. So you're trying to keep out anything that would steal your peace. And you're trying to keep in anything that would cause conflict. Is that true for you? I, the way I roll is, I, it's, it's inertia. 
So if I'm still like, leave me alone. But if I'm moving, like if I'm that big boulder going downhill, like I can move fast and I can move hard and I can, I can run with anybody. But when the boulder stops, like it's, you got to work to get that going back Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. That's a great visual. It really is. Actually, because uh, I know for Annie, right? I mean, she was a downhill ski racer. I mean, she's she's an aggressive, competitive athlete. I think nines are hard to describe sometimes. I've been married to one for 30 years. You know, like, they're hard to describe because because of some of these contradictions. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they can be very accomplished. They can be very busy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They can, you know, have a lot of competitive drive and yet at the same time this dynamic of inertia and sloth there oh right? sloth oh sloth oh sloth <laughs> my friend <laughs> well tell us about sloth well uh so uh preacher guy I know out in Abilene Jonathan Stormont talked about sloth one time uh in and and because i think that he he's he maybe he's subject to it or he knows someone who is and the way he described it was really good. He says it's not lazy. It's um, getting busy doing something that make that keeps you away from doing that thing you ought to be doing. Mm. And um, oh my goodness, when he, when I when I heard him say that, it, just, it hit hard because I am very very good at being. Like I can do really really good things. Like, and I could convince anybody that this thing is important to do. But I'm energized by my neglect of that other thing that I don't want to do. Or Talk that about I have that to do. more. Talk about being energized by the thing you don't want to do. Well, it sounds pretty pathological. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, though, yeah. I've never heard that said, and I, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I'd love to hear more about that. Um, I, I've 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 noticed this since I was. Younger, I, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what to call it or how, how the dynamic works, but, um, like, there's things I don't want to do, but I have to do them, right? And, and so I, I find like a way to avoid. That's part of the avoidance. There's, I get energy from avoiding mm-hmm. th- that whatever that is, and I get incredibly creative in that time period. I get like I'm like. Like I have these, some of the best thoughts I ever have are when I'm avoiding a necessary thing I have to do. It's very frustrating to me because when I have that moment, when I want to be like, can I bring out that inner genius? It's like nothing, nothing's there. Wow. And if like, if I could have some important thing to avoid, mm-hmm. I, I could probably be a genius. <laughs> do you think that has to do with being passive aggressive? Do you think it has to do with being stubborn? Because you're both, of course. <laughs> um, I, you know, those are two ways of looking at it, for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like such a nine. Let's find a, let's find something I like better. <laughs> um, y- y- yeah, I, I, th- I think so. I mean, th- there's lots of faces of avoiding. Sure. Um, and and those are certainly two two of the many uh faces of avoiding and and i think you know that's um that's probably if you if you're 
measuring the health of the nine, mm-hmm. that's that's not the you know the top of the health uh, yeah. part of that uh, um, uh, enneagram number. But um, when when you go over to that, like I, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure how that how that actually fu- uh, functions. Sometimes I, I, when I'm experiencing Joe avoiding, I'm aware that there's an energy in that that I I wonder where he gets it. So that's why I'm pursuing this with you. I think it's also true with my daughter who's a nine and and other nines that I've known. I want to ask you two specific questions. Okay. One is um, I've had a lot of nines come to me over the years and say, you know, like if I go in for my evaluation as a school teacher, and I think I've done a really good job this year, and the principal's evaluating me, and there are all these areas that need improvement. Mm-hmm. Nines tell me that, but that unless they're really on top of their game, unless they're really in a healthy space, by the time the person who's doing the evaluating gets through, they've kind of merged with that image of their year of teaching. And that they go with the merging until they leave the space. Mm-hmm. And then they get away from that and think, now, wait a minute. I, I don't agree with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's, so one of the things that's up and running with me is be, because I'm, trying to understand as much as possible what that blends into is I get a fog. It's like I'm looking in a foggy mirror. I can't really see myself because I'm trying to see someone else. Oh, that's so good. And so I, in the, the, the skill that really I think a nine needs to develop is a way to wipe off that mirror in that moment. And, um, that that is incredibly hard to do, and for for other numbers like I'm imagining an eight or some some others that are incredibly boundaried and kind of know their domain, like what I just said doesn't make any like how could you not know yourself? You are more you than anyone else is, and what I would say is um, yes, but the way I'm me uh, will will merge with you, and. But then when you're gone, I'm unmerged, mm-hmm. and I can now think more clearly. It takes my energy, the, the energy, it takes me energy to know myself. Oh, that's so It requires sad. energy to know myself. Right. Um, so if I'm using up some of that energy to know you, then I'm, it's like I have this weird amnesia uh, about me. So y- you get that. And I think part of the avoidance is... If I'm so, if I'm merging with you, and I'm being asked where do I stand on something, um, I don't know that I have the capacity to honestly answer that question in that moment. I got to go away and be by myself and think on it and chew on it and go, what do I believe about that? And then there's an increased chance, not a certainty, but an increased chance I could produce an answer. And then I'd have to come back. Right. So when when people talk to me and they need an answer right now, um, 
and and I'm in meetings like that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you, you don't know what you're doing to me. Like you're 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 handcuffing me and 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 telling me to play basketball. I can't. Let, just give me all the information. Let me go away. I'll chew on it, process it, and let me come back. And I will. I'll know who I am when I'm not with you. But when I'm with you, I want to know who you are. And I, I can't. I can't juggle two things. Okay. I, I've been married to a nine for 30 years. I have a nine daughter. And when you start talking about foggy mirror and that the work of a nine is to, you know, wipe the mirror to see mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. I had an epiphany. And I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm overstating it. I mean, literally I had an epiphany, like I had a wipe the mirror moment where, um, and just, I had a tremendous sense of empathy kind of grip me, you know, uh, and understanding. I mean, th- that was about five minutes of the, some of the clearest um, thoughtful reflecting about wh- who an eight is that I've ever heard. Suze, is that, I mean... Who a nine is? Yeah. I mean, uh, just even the phrase you used, the way I'm me, mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. you know, worth the price of admission, <laughs> the way I'm me. That's beautiful. Well, in that there's not room for that and the other person who's standing in front of you mm-hmm. asking you what you want to do and when you want to do it and all that. Yeah, yeah. So my second question yeah. is, um, my husband is a pastor mm-hmm. and a nine, and we often say that the best part of you in terms of the Enneagram is also the worst part of you. So I say yeah. about nines, the best part of you is that you see two sides to everything. Yeah. And the worst side is that you see two sides to everything. Yeah, right. And um, Joe is willing to see a couple who's struggling um, for two or three times before he sends them on to a therapist, sure. usually. Not beyond that, because he's yeah. not a therapist. Um, how do you think being a nine helps you? in marriage and family therapy as the therapist, and how do you think it's a hindrance? So that's a great question. Um, I enter into every different case, every couple, every um, family, every individual case, with the running assumption that everybody does things for reasons that make sense to them, whether they know it or not. Or whether they could even remember it or not. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that's my way of kind of assuming you're not crazy when you walk in my door. Now, I've had things presented to me that have challenged that. That, but I go with that assumption as as far as I possibly can, and almost always I'm able to. With that, with that assumption and, and, and my ability to see different ways, go, ah, okay, you think each other are crazy, um, but you're not crazy, and you're not crazy, and here's why you're not crazy. And, um, and so I'm, I think I'm able to multidirectionally empathize with opposing parties. <laughs> That's an amazing and, statement. <laughs> so, yeah, could you... <laughs> So I'm so distracted right now. So time out. Yeah. Okay. And the reason I'm so distracted is because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I've got to remember at the end to say to Chris, are you all right if I go back and take take notes listening to this podcast that I then used to teach with? Because you have articulated things I know I need to teach that I've not been able to articulate. I, so I'm 
I'm, I'm like, <laughs> uh, yes. The answer is yes. I multi, don't to, what was it? Multi-directional empathy. empathy. No, but there was, we'll look, go back look, and get look, it. Cause yeah, whatever the statement was, are, it was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is maybe one of the best, you know, ways of that. We just, it gets purchased on the ground when you're talking about, about a nine. So that's the upside. That's the upside. The, so what's the downside? So the downside um, in, in, in therapy is um, uh, coming to some, to, to, in confronting someone. There are times uh, in therapy when um, confrontation needs to happen. Um, I don't like that at all. I come in with the assumption that there's a way to get through this without a direct confrontation. <laughs> oh, <right>? my gosh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm going to find it. It's, and I'm going to find it. And I'm, and I'm kind of good at it. Um, oh, you're really, <laughs> really good at it. Good at it. Um, and yet there's those times. So here's the two times when that doesn't work. One, when that takes too many sessions to get there. Like, wow, you went really went along the entire yellow brick road when you could have taken a helicopter to yeah. see the wizard, right? right? And then the other one is it's never going to get there. Like mm. this, this road doesn't lead to that outcome. This particular thing needs to be confronted. It's not the best way. It's the only way. Or this person... Um, imagine, okay, so imagine my client is an eight. Okay. Okay. And I'm doing all this wiggly stuff. Like, they're going to probably drop out of therapy because they have no respect for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So what I need to do uh, with that person is not just know the situation. The situation may call for confrontation. The person, who they are, may call for confrontation. And uh, when, when I uh, address that particular issue head on, they may not agree initially, but they will respect me at a point to where that's what needed to happen so therapy could go forward. Yeah, exactly. If they, if they don't respect me, we're probably done. So can, let's talk about the fact that you're in the anger triad and nobody can believe that nines are... In the anger triad, because yeah. they just are so tranquil. They're so, you know, they're so, <laughs> yeah. you know, on the surface, tranquil, just like the inner sea is very calm. And, you, and you know, yet your next door neighbor is the eight. I mean, my gosh, you have yeah. this, you know, ball of radiating and you just radiate peace and hakuna matata. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> just all music. good. It's you know, spa music. It's spa, spa music. music. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Yes. I feel like I'm getting a massage. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Yes. You're getting all that kind of energy, but. I have a story. Oh, bring it. When I was a teenager, I, I was known as the good kid, like. I did nothing wrong. Yeah. Everybody loved Chris. Chris is shy. He does nothing wrong. He's like, I'd like to get to know him a little more, but he doesn't say much. Mm. That was me growing up. So one day, I don't remember what it was. I, there was a conflict with someone in the family. I, I think I was 12 years old and it was just, it was not going well. And I, I couldn't, 
maintain peace any longer. I was full of rage. You wouldn't have noticed it because, like, I just look like regular old Chris. And uh, I go downstairs, and I'm so mad. And the story my my mother and brother, older brother, tell is they heard a noise, a loud noise downstairs. They came downstairs, and they say, Chris, we saw you standing next to a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I had punched a hole in the wall. Like, I hit it that hard. And But I was staring blankly at the wall, feeling tremendous relief, but also a little surprised. And they looked at me and they said, what, what happened? And the only thing I could say in this blank look as I'm staring at the wall was fists of fury. Wow. <laughs> I had blown a gasket. Yep. And, and the only thing I could think to do, and I wasn't even thinking, there was no thinking about it. I go, I can go uh, from containing it to like dissociative anger yes, and punch a hole in the wall and not remember punching. Like I just did that once in my life. I don't do that anymore. Um, but I punched a hole in the wall and I didn't even know it and it didn't even hurt. It was just like all the energy just went right out my fist into that, into that wall. And of course it's a hilarious story that we tell in our family about every Christmas. Unless you're the wall. And unless the wall. We took that wall down, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't leave it for up its for own some, protection. For its own protection, right? Joe says that um the the first time he remembers and he his growing up years are very odd because he went to high school seminary at fourteen and so everything was all prayerful and mm-hmm. you know ordered and structured but he says the first time he really expressed his anger it scared him mm-hmm. that he kind of mm-hmm. didn't know yes a- anger is terrifying because it's out of control it's 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 it it what it feels like is i don't know where this is going to go when 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 i am rehearsed and skilled and gifted at closing in at you know and and then when i can't do it anymore like i just i have no skills at anger i have no gifts at anger and it is scary yeah cuz i don't know how to channel it i don't know what to do with it and it comes out like when when in in my marriage when Gail and I are having an argument, and I'm thinking, I have to put the conflict between us, not inside of me. Or I'm going to get resentful. And, but when it's between us and I'm feeling some anger, I'm, I'm not good at it. I'm clumsy. I'm a clumsy, angry mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. I'm not well good said. at it. And I say, it's like, oh, wow, that was way too harsh what I just said. And I think about that after the fact. Yeah. And so I'm not good at anger, and I don't. It's like putting me out. On an NBA court, I was like totally unfair. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to score. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at this. When am I? When can I be done being humiliated in this game that I'm don't even want to be in? Wow. That's what it's like. That's really helpful. Really, really helpful. So you're 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 in a uh, a room. We're going to wrap up, and so I'm thinking about just now. I had my mind. You're in a room of eight nines in group therapy, and you're. <laughs> and and uh, so you've been you've done an eight week course on being a nine, and you're kind of doing the summary. 
you know, night, uh, the last five minutes, and you're kind of delivering the, the final address to this group of nines. What, what would you want to say to them about, as they went out into the world, um, about being healthy nines? Um, I would say being a healthy nine, um, you know, it is kind of that, like honoring the blessing that you are to other people. Like um, when you're on your game as a nine, uh, other people f- feel liked. They um, they feel cared for. Um, they feel safe in your presence mm-hmm. when you're doing a really good job. And I think sometimes, like I, I went for a long time not recognizing that that's really valuable to other people. Mm-hmm. Like they experience relationships with all varying levels of tension and anxiety and uncertainty and ambiguity. And, um, but if you're a, if you're doing nine really well, people feel safe with you and they feel, uh, cared for. Uh, and, uh, the other thing I would say is, um, learn, to know what it feels like when there is conflict with another person. Like, like even like, what is your body feeling like when you're having a conflict with another person and get it outside of you and between them, but then really develop those skills so that uh, those interpersonal skills of conflict resolution, such that you um, don't have to go to anger which then it, like, I, I don't know that a nine is going to get really good at anger. Mm. I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. within their... Not in your skill like, set. Like, you're just, I'm not going to be tall. It's just not going to be tall, so... It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Resources. I just feel like I want to... Because I know that you're an, um, a well-read guy and very thoughtful... Um, anger, you know, like what, if you were like, I think about, I can think about some classic texts. Well, what, what would you tell people if you were telling the nine, like, here's, uh-huh. here's some great resources to read about anger and about this process of developing these skills because. As opposed to controlling them. Yeah. Or, or, mm-hmm. you know, and like, how would you help them? What, what, where would you point them? Well, um, oh gosh, uh, I'm not sure where I'd point them, uh, so far as. Uh, resources on um, anger. Um, so I don't know how much good they're going to get reading something. Okay, how about conflict? Is that a better word? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're stumping me here. All right. <laughs> well, I, I can help a little. Okay, bring it. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh did a really great book, wrote a really great book on anger. And Jack Cornfield does it really. Cornfield with uh, a K. Thank you. And Tara Brack. Yeah. Actually, her podcast. Yeah. She has one on on uh she has two back to back podcasts. Actually, Annie, just listen to them on uh, Awakening Through Anger. Yeah. Is the name of the two episodes. Mm. Awakening Through Anger. So that might might work. Okay, Chris, here's what I want to hear. Okay. What are you passionate about? Oh, what am I passionate about? When I was at the University of Minnesota studying doing my doctoral studies, I was running to, I was late for a research meeting as usual. Right. I'm running up the stairs in McNeil Hall 
and I'm like dropping things and this, it wasn't an audible voice, but this, this just thought consumed my mind and my whole body. And it was, Chris, the reason you exist is to heal and to heal. Oh man. And so I had to think about that. I had to think about that. Well, what does that even mean? And it was first, I exist so that I can participate in healing my own wounds, Mm -hmm. which are many. And not after, and at the same time, participate in other people's healing as well. And from that time, I was already a therapist at the time. I was already doing that. But that just thrust, whatever that is, is that the voice of God? I don't know what that was, but it was so powerful. I'll never forget it. And if I can participate in some way of helping people heal and always like that freed me up to know it's okay to be in the healing process myself for the rest of my life. That has benefit for me and other people. Right. That's what I'm passionate about. Oh, we got man. it. Can we end it there, please? Because that was so beautifully yeah, stated. Absolutely. It's like a great poem. You know, you want to end on the line and not go any further in explaining it. You know, it's just just it's a perfect period for the conversation with nines. So you honestly said a couple of things today that were like, I, I mean, like stunning, falling off the horse moments stunning. for two yeah. people married to nines. So here's what I'd say. What would you Since say? Since we record our podcasts here in um, Nashville. In the top of this lovely high rise at the at the global headquarters of Chapey Management. Management. <laughs> if you come to downtown Nashville, you'll see the big tall building with the devil ears. That's Chapey Management. <laughs> Look on the Nashville skyline. Um, it's interesting then that I'm looking out the window at the part of the tree that I see. But <laughs> since we record them here, would you be willing to come back on our show sometime? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, thank I, you. I I tell you what, I'd like to do. I'd like to let uh, folks send in questions. Um, about marriage and family and have us explore those together with you. Yeah. Yeah, great. I'd love to do that. that thank That'd you. That'd be fun, wouldn't treat. it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so good to have you. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. Brother, thanks for being here. Suze. Yeah. Do you know what? Well, let's just tell people. We've been here for two days doing podcasts. We've been on a, a sprint. This was a gorgeous, delicious end to our time yes, for two days been. of podcast yeah. recording. You're heading back to Dallas. I'm going to go downstairs yeah. and roll my hair. Oh, because these headphones are bad, mm. and I'm going to see my husband for the first time in a week. Okay, and when I walk off that plane, I'm going to look gorgeous, and then the rest is up to your imagination. <laughs> so I need everyone out there in podcast land to know that when Suzanne gets tired, this is—I <laughs> just want you to know, there, there, this can go, this can go so badly. <laughs> Seriously, we could all lose our salvation if we let her on mic much longer. Everybody, thank you so much. Chris, thank you. Jim Chafee, thank you all. And bad Brad. (laughs) Brad. Brad. We love you all. Come back next time. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram. Produced by Jim Chapey and engineered by Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Lori Chaffer. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and information on our public appearances around the country. 
And you can order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And be sure to join us next time. It's going to be a good one, so come on back.